0: This afternoon, I preach to you the Word of God as summarized and confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And we'll read that together. That's page 538 in your book of praise. Lord's Day 23, we looked at our confession that we are righteous before God and heir to life everlasting in Christ not on account of the worthiness of our faith, but only in Jesus Christ. And then Lord's Day 24, the church confesses, But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin." But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? The reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I think that most of us here this afternoon have sat around a campfire this summer, maybe many campfires, and if we were to be honest thinking about it, I think we all have to admit that we did not think about how campfires serve to explain a sermon on Lord's Day 24. And so let's build a fire right now. Let's do it. In our imagination, though, let's picture a fire in front of us. And as we look at this fire that we built, there are several things to notice. First, is that the flame of the fire that you built is producing heat and light. But if you were just to take heat and light, it will not work backwards to produce fire. The effects cannot produce the cause. It's, it's a one-way street, from fire to heat and light. This is the picture we'll use in the first point to show that good works are the result of being saved in Christ. And since they are still imperfect, they cannot be the cause of our salvation. And then we look back at that fire again. And the second thing we notice is that heat and light are signs that there is a flame present. Wherever there is a flame, there will also be heat and light. We'll use this in the, this picture in our second point, to show that in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit through whom we necessarily produce good works. Finally, the third thing we notice is that the amount of heat and light that you pictured. And that fire will differ depending on the quality of the fire that you imagined. And so the third thing that we notice is that some fires will be more pleasing and helpful than others. And some fires are just downright frustrating. The relationship between the people standing around the campfire and the actual fire is stronger or weaker depending on the usefulness of the fire. We love a good fire that's meeting our needs, but a small, smoking, cold fire is difficult to love as much. We will use this picture in our third point to show that Christians, saved by grace alone, are able to please God with their good works. But also, to offend him when we behave less like Christ did, when the flame is hard to see in us because of the smoke or when we throw off less heat. This last point has often been forgotten by those who think that in order to speak about grace, you have to believe that there is no law after Christ or in theological terms, there is no need for sanctification after justification. At the end of the build-up today, we will hear what the Word of God says specifically about this question. Do good works have any value at all after grace? Will God really reward one Christian differently from another, depending on how many good works they perform? Hebrews 11, verse 6, I believe it was a text that was on display as we walked in again this afternoon, tells us that we must believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I preach to you the gospel that we confess and believe about the rewards of God under this theme. God rewards Christians for their good works. We believe this, remembering that good works are a result of of his grace. Secondly, good works are a sign of our faith. And in the third place, that good works are a gauge of our heart. So, first, then, good works are a result of His grace. The first thing we need to recognize is that we can only talk about rewards from God when we are talking about Christians. A Christian is someone who has been declared innocent by God, who has already escaped eternal punishment because of Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness. A Christian is someone that God has chosen before the foundation of the world. We can read that in Ephesians chapter 1. When he chose someone before he or she had done anything good or bad, He has chosen to share in Christ's righteousness and all his benefits. That means that any work that a Christian may do, any good work, is a result of God's work. It was not something God considered when he declared you to be righteous in Christ. To return to the analogy that we had at the beginning, the comparison, God did not decide which logs he would throw on the fire based on any qualities in the logs themselves. You don't get to share in Christ's work based on the fact that you were more likely to believe or that you have done many good things in your life, many mission trips and many, many sacrifices. It was completely by grace that God chose you. It was completely by his power that you were saved and made to burn brightly. There was no rewarding going on when God was doing his choosing. And so we can only conclude that good works are a result of God's grace and not a cause of his grace. It's very important to be very clear on this point from the outset because the whole question of rewards has caused some confusion about the place of good works in our salvation. You can see that it's part of the confusion. It's even in our catechism as a second question of Lord's Day 24. For some people, the the texts that speak about different rewards for obedience seem to indicate that good works are a part of our righteousness before God. Such teaching is not only a problem that is found among Judaizers, as we could see in the time of our Lord Jesus speaking with the Pharisees and Paul as he dealt with those who were opposing the message of the gospel, not only found in medieval and even modern Roman Catholic churches, but right now, while we are in this worship service, there are so-called evangelical preachers declaring that you can earn your salvation as a reward for your good works. The preacher will say Christ has has opened the door for you. Now get up and and, and walk through it. The power is within you. Stop your worldly living, stop doing bad things and then each preacher has his his own list that he makes. Some churches and it was very common in Brazil, stop your drinking and, and stop your smoking. Be faithful in your church attendance, your tithing using veils or whatever Christian clothes the minister may decide is necessary, and then God will reward you. He will save you. You can see these people living under this spiritual slavery without hope, without Christ, and our heart goes out to them. How blessed we are to hold on to, to embrace Ephesians 2. God sees us as righteous in Christ in spite of our imperfect and defiled works. The Bible teaches, and we believe, as we also read, we are saved by grace alone and only for the sake of Christ's merits. Good works are unable to earn our salvation or make us right before God. In the same way that the dead cold wood is inert, it's it's passive, it's unable to, to just burst into flame spontaneously unless it is acted upon by an existing flame. In this sense, then, the promised reward, as we confess, has to be based on God's grace. When God shows his favor to a person, the very fact that he even looks at that person as his own child is a result of his gracious work in the heart of that person. We confess it clearly the reward is not earned, but it is a gift of grace. It is grace upon grace. It is a subsequent blessing that flows from the work that he himself has done. Our unity with Christ, by true faith, is a gift of God. And we will immediately produce good works in our lives when God works on us. We see that in our, our second point, that good works are a sign of our faith. And you can see what we confess in the last question and answer. It's impossible that those who are grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits Of thankfulness. As soon as you are a part of the good fire, Jesus Christ, then you are no longer cold and unresponsive. But being on fire yourself, you begin to give off heat and light. The whole process is explained very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit starts off by showing how dead sinners are saved in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then verses 8 and 9 explain, through faith, not by works. And then he shows the consequence of this work of Christ. In verse 10, you can see that, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When God saved us, He prepared us, or He saved us to do good works. And not just any good works, but good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. We can already see a connection to what He has commanded, what He has revealed to us. And as we keep reading in Scripture, we see that not only did God prepare good works for us to do, but He Himself works in us by His Spirit so that we are actually able to do things that are acceptable and pleasing to him. In 1 Corinthians, you can open your Bible there, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 to 10, Paul highlights that the effects of God's grace to him, once a persecutor of the church, were visible in his hard work. Paul was doing the work. You can see that in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Since it is God's God who graciously works in Christians, we can expect to see good works. But before we move on, it also has, it also has to be clear that when, when, we, when God's Spirit leads us to do good works, He doesn't just do them automatically for us, as if we were just mere puppets in God's hand. But He works through our will in such a way that we ourselves are alive. We ourselves are doing Good works. The good works that Christians do are genuine, not just God working through a puppet. Good works that Christians do come from converted, renewed, changed hearts. The Holy Spirit teaches us this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. In Philippians 2, verse 13, we read, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. In explanation of this text, and there are several references that I will make to the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, articles 12 to 16, but in our confession, we are confessing that it is God who re- regenerates our hearts with a power that is not inferior to creation or the raising from the dead, and then we say, hence all those in whose hearts God works in this amazing way are certainly, unfailingly, and effectually regenerated and do actually believe. And then the will soul renewed is not only acted upon and moved by God, but acted upon by God, the will itself also acts." In Romans 8, verse 11, Paul reminds the church that they can and they will please God with their good works because the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. We confess God makes the will of man spiritually alive, heals it, corrects it pleasantly, and at the same time bends it. As the result, where formerly rebellion and resistance of the flesh fully dominated, now a prompt and sincere obedience of the spirit begins to prevail in which the true spiritual renewal And freedom of our will consists. By the grace of God, we ourselves are renewed by his spirit in such a way that we have the freedom to will, to want, and the ability to perform genuine, sincere good works. Good works that come from renewed hearts but each one of us is different. Our own situations, our own attitudes, and our own experiences are visible in a different way of producing good works. And then we see that after grace, the law returns, not to condemn us, but it is a law written on our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And it comes to us as a guide, free-thinking, rational beings with renewed hearts. The results are that each piece of flaming wood in the fire will look a little different. And this will have consequences both now and eternally. We see that finally that good works are a gauge of our hearts. So we come to part that is often forgotten, and by way of introduction, I think it's important to understand that it is not only Judaizers and Roman Catholics and Arminians who are confused about good works and rewards, but there is also confusion on, on the other side of the spectrum. Several people that I have personally talked to have left a Reformed church because they believe that there is too much focus on the law. And as I read more on, on this, uh, this, these ideas, this ideology, I learned that there are many people who don't want to talk at all about good works or rewards or discipline or even encouragement to faithfulness in home visits because they believe that this contradicts the doctrine of free grace. They believe that when you have crossed over from death to life, you stand in God's grace alone. And there should be, or there can be, no should in your Christian life. There, should be, there can be no should about going to church twice or giving your offerings. They say, how dare you tell me, standing in grace, what I should or should not do. And so it doesn't make a difference once you're standing in grace how holy you are in your outward activities, as long as you love God. If they would use our fire to teach a lesson, they would say that once the log is thrown into the fire and is made to burn, it doesn't matter how it burns because there will be no consequences that are based on the quality of the flame you produce. Now, when we look at the prayer we read at the end of Hebrews We can see that the conclusion that good works don't matter is problematic. The Holy Spirit teaches us to pray that in our lives we may be pleasing to God, that we may be pleasing rather than displeasing. And it does seem to matter. We see this very clearly when we look to the relationship between God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Although the bond of love between the Father and the Son in his divine nature is eternal and unchanging, the bond of love between the Father and Christ Jesus in his human nature is related to Christ's perfect obedience to the law. Christ Jesus in his human nature pleased God by his obedience. The good works that Christ Jesus performed in his life were like a fragrant offering that satisfied and pleased his holy Father in heaven, contributed to his love for his Son. His good works were a gauge that showed how much he loved his Father in heaven. And when Christ was on the cross, the most significant act of obedience and faith of any human in the history of the world. There, while the, while the greatest wrath was being poured up upon his son, God looked at him also with the most intense love for his obedience, his sacrifice, and his love for God's creatures. Like Genesis 22, when God looked at Abraham, now he could see how much his son loved him and pleased him. just as Christ Jesus pleased God by his obedience, so also Christ's body pleases God by her obedience. We are the body of Christ. When Christ, our head, looks at us, his body, he sees himself. When he loves us, he loves himself. And as the perfect son of God in his human nature in heaven, he wants to see himself, his workmanship and his body glorifying God in their lives and faithful in doing the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. The more faithful we are, the more that Jesus Christ himself glorifies his father and the less faithful we are, the less the Son glorifies His Father. And God may not need our good works to secure our salvation. Christ Jesus did everything for us and in our place. But Christ Jesus wants to see us serving God with our lives, with our obedience, with our our good works. Not just to make sure that we are being properly thankful but because he himself wants to enjoy this good relationship. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, Paul expresses his desire that he might present the church to God as a a purified bride. You see that? Paul shares, shares the same desire as his Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to present the church to God as, as beautiful as it can be, as faithful to God's word and as devoted to him as possible. And he wants to do this because he loves his father who adopted him and wants him to be pleased with his church. That's the desire that's behind the reading of the law in our worship services and, and its proclamation That's the desire behind the the elders who are following in Paul's example who come to your home to encourage you, to, to, to teach you, encourage you to be a beautiful bride for your Father in heaven. Just like in marriage, just like in marriage, although the union is guaranteed and cannot be broken, a marriage full of love, good works, self-sacrifice, and complete commitment will be much happier than one that is struggling against infidelity and selfishness. If you want to be, to show yourself as a faithful and a pure bride, out of love for God, your Savior, and your husband, you will strive to walk in the Spirit according to the commands to be thankful for the encouragement, for the discipline, for the preaching of the law, for the preaching of, of, of sanctification in your life. This message is very encouraging for us. God is pleased with our positive and our loving response to his gospel. As we saw in the last point about, that, the, the, as we saw in the last point, the good works of a Christian, even though they may not be perfect, are an act of that Christian, of his renewed will, of him standing before the Lord as you, as an individual. We really are doing them as new creatures with new clothes. And that is what makes them interesting, delightful to the Father in heaven. Even if his child can only crawl A father is still delighted by his progress because he knows that that child is doing it for him. Brothers and sisters, Scripture is very clear that our good works please the triune God and he is glorified by them. When we are doing good works, we we sin less. We are more joyful, which pleases God. We walk closer to him. His name is, is more honored. Good works serve as a gauge that measures what is in our heart and how pleasing we are to God. And so God looks for your good works. He cares about them. We also can look and see our good works as a gauge of how pleasing we are as a son or a daughter in the kingdom. Revelation 2 Revelation 3, we have our Lord Jesus Christ in his glory, human nature, divine nature, looking down to his body, the church. And he cares very much that the church is bringing glory to God through their obedience. Paul's letters are the same. In his parable about a fig tree, in Luke 13, verses 6 to 8, The Lord Jesus shows that your Father in heaven is looking for fruit in the lives of his people. When he looks to your life to to see the fruit, but only sees hardness and rebellion and laziness and an unwillingness to hear God's word or to pray to him. We confess, and this is chapter 5, of the Canons Adored, Article 5, that we offend God. We confess that we can offend God. As Christians, we can offend God, incur the guilt of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound the consciences, and sometimes, for a while, cause us to lose the sense of God's favor. You see, in His grace, He gave us life. He allowed us to grow. He watered us. And now He wants to delight Himself with the fruit. He is like a father who delights in his child and desires to reward the warm relationship. All this is after we have been declared righteous. We read all this after grace. Brothers and sisters, it is clear that it would be foolish to use grace as a reason to throw out the law. It would be like a woman using the guarantee of her husband's signature on the marriage license to justify never doing things to make the relationship More enjoyable. It would be like a child who uses the irrevocable fact that his parents are biologically inseparable from him to justify that he never cares about them. It's like building a fire to give heat and light, but willfully abandoning it until it is nothing more than a little smoldering chunk of wood that is of little use to anyone. In this context, the language of rewards for good works becomes very appropriate and, in fact, Christ-centered. We should not be surprised about this language because our whole understanding of the value and the effectiveness of the person and work of Christ Jesus is related to the idea of God rewarding the righteous according to his covenant promises. We sing psalms that speak of rewards and most of the songs chosen this afternoon mention a reward. And as we read the passages that are given as proof texts for the question in Lord's Day 24 where we see that God indeed did promise to reward our good works in this life and the next, the church confesses that God promises to do this. The fact of the matter is that God does not treat every Christian exactly the same. Because not every Christian displays the same holiness in his or her life. Not every fire burns as brightly. And the shape and the well-being of the burning piece of wood can deepen or weaken relationships both now and eternally. We experience this already now in our lives. Our Lord Jesus teaches us this. John 15, he encourages us to produce fruit. He says the Father is looking, he's pruning off the branches so that we may produce more fruit. And then he says that that as you produce fruit, then you can turn to your Father and you can count on him in Christ in your prayers. The more you become like Christ, the closer you will walk and live with your Father in heaven. When you are truly led by God's Spirit and by His Word every day of your life, you also experience a real nearness to your Heavenly Father with much more peace and much more joy than when you are living in disobedience. The Bible teaches us also that there are eternal rewards for our good works. You can see this if we go back to our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven talking to the churches on earth, his body in Revelation 2 and 3. You can see that he speaks of the rewards that are given to those who overcome. You remember that, he repeats it. To those, to you who overcome, you will receive. Again, in Romans chapter 2, Paul makes a clear connection between our conduct on earth and our reward in heaven. Romans 2, verses 6 to 7 and verse 10. All these things are revealed to us to encourage us to stand firm in the midst of persecution, to live in obedience, to enjoy to the full all that we have in Jesus Christ. The Lord speaks to to us in this way to encourage us to embrace all that we have in Jesus Christ. The scriptures also seem to teach that there is a there were different rewards in eternity. For example, on, on the side of punishment, on the other side, if you were to read Luke 12, verses 40, verse 47, you would see that it seems to teach that there are different degrees of punishment for the disobedient. But also in heaven, in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus promises to reward Christians in heaven with those specific things that they had to sacrifice on earth for his namesake. That could be different for different people. What will it look like? How will it work? We don't really know, but we do know that it was possible for our Lord Jesus to love one of his disciples more than the others. And this did not cause pride or jealousy among the others whom Jesus also loved. We know also, we even perhaps referred to that as we sang hymn three, that there is a hierarchy in heaven among those who are among the angels. In Revelation, we read of, of different positions around the throne, some who are closer and some who are further. We know that any difference in glory, in joy, in honor, and in happiness in heaven will add to the joy of those who have less, because the sins of envy, the sins of bitterness, will be replaced with a genuine joy for the success and the happiness of others. We will rejoice together to see those who have given much in this life to be honored. Much, every cup will be full. It seems, peers from what we read, that there may be different size cups. And brothers and sisters, this is encouraging. For us all. It is encouraging to know that the Lord is seeing your lives. He is seeing the sacrifices that you are making for the gospel. He is seeing when you have a particularly difficult time on on this earth in your life. Be encouraged, Christians, saved by grace alone. And know very well that God sees how much you Love him. How much you love to, to walk with him. How much you have given up for him and his kingdom. And how much you do for even the least of these, his brothers. And he will reward your good deeds. Let us burn brightly and warmly. Amen. We'll pray together Thanksgiving prayer with the words of Hebrews 13.